0: Hi everyone and welcome to season four of the podcast. I'm super excited to be back and to announce that the podcast will now be called The Holistic Pharmacy Podcast to better reflect the subject matter. The first few episodes were recorded before the rebranding so I still refer to it by its old raw fork name in those. Anyway, I had no idea when I started this podcast that it would evolve to this format but i did know that i wanted to share people's stories it has evolved from me reading my blog post out loud to interviewing non-traditional pharmacists including herbalists season four will air every friday highlighting inspirational pharmacists that chose to fit out of the proverbial box and are working to build a new system of care focusing on natural and preventative medicine please enjoy the show Hello, hello! Today I have another exciting episode in store for you that has been a long time in the making. Dr. Veronica Riera-Gilly and I met when we both joined the farm-to-table telehealth platform of functional medicine pharmacists. Listen to prior episodes of other members that I'll link to in the show notes and more are forthcoming. I am so honored to introduce you all to this very special lady. Dr. Riera Gilly is a holistic pharmacist and owner of Prairie Fire Pharmacy Consulting, PLLC. Her passion is to maximize health with minimal medication. She's board certified geriatric pharmacist, advanced mind-body medicine practitioner, lifestyle coach, and adaptive yoga instructor who helps people with healthy living, aging, and dying. You can connect with Veronica by heading to her website or shooting her an email, and I will provide those in the show notes as well. So without further ado, let's welcome Veronica to the show. Hello, hello. I'm back with
1: another episode today. I have with me today, Dr. Veronica riera Gilly, and she's another holistic pharmacist and also board certified in geriatric pharmacy. She helps people embrace healthy living, aging, and dieting. So please welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm super excited to learn more about your journey and your special interests. Um, So why don't you just start with telling us how and where you grew up and why you chose Pharmacy School.
2: Well, I was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma and uh, was raised there. And I went to college at Southwestern Oklahoma State University, which is in Weatherford, Oklahoma. And I actually chose pharmacy through um, someone's death. Uh, My mother's best friend died from suicide and she had had a traumatic brain injury. She was on a long laundry list of medications and she approached her doctor saying, I don't like the way that I feel on all of this medicine. You know, can you help me with that? And she was told, this is your new normal, deal with it. And without any other guidance, discontinued all of her medications and um shortly thereafter died from suicide and there's a lot of details that that are missing for us but um i i feel like there was probably some component of withdrawal in there uh that that was giving her devastating feelings and thoughts and so I, I chose pharmacy because I saw it as an opportunity to help prevent something like that in the future. If people could have more knowledge and understanding that just because someone says, I'm sorry, this is your new normal, doesn't mean that it is. And there's always something else that we can do, something else that we can try. And it's not always medication. It might be, it might be medication, but it might not be. It might be finding a completely different therapy um, to help you find a way back to balance and to be happy in your body, even after a devastating injury or illness.
0: Wow.
1: Um, that was really like a, I wasn't expecting that. Um, thank you for sharing. And I'm sure, you know, your family and was devastated and it's a lot to, uh, to grapple with. And I mean, it sounds like you were young at the time. So you probably really had a hard time understanding what happened um yeah so that kind of like gave you a direct entryway into like your current area of interest uh, so now I, I can totally relate to why you're interested in that and it's one of your passions to help people um live well and then age and die gracefully mm-hmm. um and you know in this society I think death is viewed as something to kind of not talk about uh, because you know it's sad and scary and we don't want to talk about it because we don't want it to happen but regardless of what we want it's just a natural part of life and it's going to happen to everyone at some point so it's uh really amazing that you're kind of nurturing and fostering this other accepting relationship towards the topic and talking about it and making it normal so uh, thank you for that work, but let's get back to pharmacy school for a second. So, as a you know, a child dealing uh, with these feelings of not understanding how death works, um, and seeing you know how the medications pr- played a role in, in this particular death, how did that kind of get you to think, hey, maybe I want to study about medications? You know, why not any other you know medical profession?
2: just seemed to make the most sense that you would want to speak to the medication expert, which is the pharmacist. And the problem was that no one addressed her medications and no one sat down to go through that list and find out how could they make it smaller or what changes could they make and really listen to her what symptoms were coming up for her and how could those be managed differently and in a more acceptable manner for her. Because it's all about making the patient comfortable in their body and and figuring out what's most important to them and so i do know that there was a piece of the quality of her life that was missing um, that that she was not happy with the, the side effects were definitely impacting the kind of quality of life that she was having and so if we can have a, a healthcare provider who's going to sit down and listen and find out what do you really value and help you choose a care plan that really matches your values and the quality of life that you want to have. And it doesn't have to match the algorithm or flow chart that was necessarily laid out in pharmacy school. There's not just one way um, to help someone achieve healing. And I think that we need to be there for our patients to help them find another way, especially when they've been told that this is it, this is the only way. And there's never just one way. And there's never one right way because we're all so biochemically unique and we have to find the right way for each person.
1: Yeah, I couldn't help but remember my, I think fourth grade math teacher who would always say, there's more than one way to skin a cat (laughs) i mean that was pretty traumatic by itself that phrase but it drove the point across about solving math problems in more than one way and life is even more complex and also has just so many hidden ways that we just don't even know about some of us not even aware that they're out there other people you know maybe are aware that they are not aware there's just so many levels of consciousness and living and existing so um so how was the pharmacy school experience for you? And as you mentioned, pharmacy may not always be the answer or a drug may not be the answer. So how did you come to that, even having you know, um, the traditional pharmacy education?
2: I thought it was interesting that I went through pharmacy school hearing that lifestyle is key. Lifestyle and nutritional and exercise type prevention was where you should always start. And I realized after I got out of school that I really didn't know how to counsel patients on changing their lifestyle. In fact, I didn't know anything about nutrition without reading a label. And of course, as holistic pharmacists now, we know that you don't need a nutrition label to know if it's good for you. That if it comes from the earth and we're eating it in a way that nature intended us to, it, it's going to be good for us. And of course, all all things have to be done in moderation. Even good things can be bad for us in too large a quantity. What is it, the saying, the dose makes the poison? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so realizing that when I got out of pharmacy school, that I, I had no idea how to talk to people about food and starting to understand the way that I grew up, we did not have anything that was cooked with whole foods. It was all boxed and packaged. And I had a whole learning curve for myself, uh, learning how to cook and use whole foods. So that was that was my own journey, learning how to feed my family better. And my food as medicine type journey started when I was pregnant with my first son, I had the opportunity to go to food as medicine, professional nutrition training. And that really sparked my interest in functional medicine. That was the first place that I actually heard about functional medicine was at this food as medicine, nutritional training. And I found out about that training through my yoga teacher training. And it's, it's so neat to see where all the little things take you and how other things feed into other things. I had no interest in teaching yoga or maybe not interest, but I didn't see myself teaching yoga I had a low back injury and yoga was helping me tremendously. And because of our profession, I knew that I did not want to use opiates and I did not want to have surgery and yoga was benefiting my body so much. So I decided to take yoga teacher training and that was just for myself, just so that I could learn. And it was through a yoga conference that I heard about food as medicine, nutrition training and decided to go. And one of the requirements for my yoga teacher training was to teach a karma class. And I happened to know the volunteer coordinator at a hospital, and she ran Senior Circle, which is an organization to help keep seniors active, and they organize group exercise classes and little vacation trips together, social gatherings, lunch and learns, and I I called up that volunteer coordinator and I said, hey, can I come teach my karma classes? And she said, yes, but you have to be able to modify it for a senior population. And which I was able to do using chairs and it was so popular, they loved it. And I continued in that volunteer position for almost 10 years. And that's when I decided that I wanted to get my board certification in geriatrics was after teaching yoga to seniors for all that time. And I just really enjoyed their company and their stories and I I really liked it when they would come back to me and say you know that breathing thing that you taught me well I used it when I was at the dentist and I didn't have to have that extra dose of Valium to get through my procedure or another one of them told me they had an MRI and they were using that breathing thing that I taught them and I, I just love hearing those stories about how they were able to use something else besides a medication and that they didn't just get yoga when they came to my classes. They got a lot of, a lot of food as medicine tips and um, information, drug information from me as we're just having conversations in
1: our class. Wow. So you're saying that this was uh, like a volunteer teaching gig, and so yes. what does that mean? The term karma classes. That means you're, you are supposed to pay it forward and do these, this volunteer work. Yes.
2: And so I only had to teach eight hours worth of karma classes in order to earn my yoga teaching certificate. But I loved it so much. I just kept continuing to do it. And I did it until our hospital changed ownership. And there was no longer a place for that class.
1: Wow. Wow. I'm surprised they shut it down. They should have kept it going. (laughs) They should have created a position, a paid position for that. That's um, I see, like, some integrative hospitals doing that work, and it's so wonderful to see, you know, um, different modalities just being implemented alongside allopathic medicine.
2: Yes, and that makes me think of Tree as an organization. Have you come across them? I don't think so. They're an organization that certifies hospitals for integrative care, and I had the opportunity to go to their conference several years ago, and it was really incredible the resources that they're bringing to healthcare providers to offer more complementary medicine practices in a traditional metal not traditional I don't like that word traditional because west is western medicine a better word
1: yeah for what, western or what we're doing in the hospital
2: yeah allopathic thank you that's the word I was looking for bringing more complementary medicine into those settings because a lot of what we're doing with allopathic medicine is is good there's a place for it but some of it doesn't get to the root cause and that's where we've gone gone wrong with some of the allopathic medicine is that we're looking at things as separate pieces that aren't separate everything is whole and integrated and we have to look at the whole picture and the whole body
1: yeah i have to agree um just like looking at the leaf of the tree and like you know fixing this leaf and this leaf and this leaf, but you know, the whole root system or something in the drainage is just not working and eventually shriveling up all the leaves, then you're not really looking at that. Um, So can you tell us a little bit more about your journey as a pharmacist, as you had your own like health journey and learning all these different modalities and and yoga, like how were the two parallel worlds um, working together?
2: I see all of this holistic training that I've sought out for myself as a great way to serve as a bridge for patients. It seems like a far leap for some patients to do the functional medicine route. They'll hear about these extreme elimination diets and all of this expensive testing. And, and I feel like my specialty is helping patients to start to have a bridge into that world where it doesn't seem like such a crazy investment to have a test that's not paid for on insurance and begin to understand some of the nutrient depletions that regular prescription medications are driving in a patient's body and how those nutrient depletions may be causing other signaling problems, which is leading to needing more medications when really they need to supplement some pathways nutritionally instead So starting to bridge that gap of knowledge and understanding for patients and help them take those baby steps into a more functional approach to their health and help them have the buy-in that it's okay to make an investment in your health that's outside of insurance because insurance isn't always paying for the best treatments.
1: Yeah, unfortunately they have their own cost analyses and back-end calculations and you know it's not always for what's best for the clients it's just something mm-hmm. that makes sense um financially for them so so can you walk us through like you graduated pharmacy school you know what was did you specialize in anything at that point or did you do that uh, geriatric specialty later on like you mentioned um and then how did you collect like enough of the courses in integrative and functional medicine to finally take the leap and then now serve as a holistic pharmacist. I just began
2: naturally incorporating all of these functional medicine pieces into medication therapy management, having the opportunity to talk to somebody about their diet when I saw that they were on a proton pump inhibitor Um, or have the opportunity to talk to them about B12 and folate with metformin use and neuropathies. So gradually just working that into a framework that was already there in my job of offering the medication therapy management or the comprehensive medication reviews that insurance was requiring and just naturally put those pieces in there. And now I've got some of those medication therapy management patients that wanna come back and have more involved conversations about what they learned.
1: So did you, out of school, did you work in retail at all, or did you go straight into MTM, or was it the two together combined somehow?
2: I did nine years in retail, and then I spent five years as a clinical hospital pharmacist. And I still work PRN for the hospital at a work-from-home position doing remote verification. And now I do one day a week doing medication therapy management for an independent and offering functional medicine consults for those of her patients that want them. And can we mention farm to table here? Of course. (laughs) Um, And so you and I are both part of that farm to table team. So when we have other patients that want to take that conversation further, more than just medication therapy management, they have the opportunity to call on us through Farm to Table and the functional medicine consults there. And so hopefully, if if we're listening to people that aren't in either of our respective states, that we could refer them to someone else on on the team.
1: Yeah, yeah. I had a few pharmacists, including Melody herself, the founder of Farm to Table, on the show. So we've been mentioning it here and there. Um, And basically, yeah, we match up the provider in each state to patients of that state in order to have that functional wellness visit. Um, But also we offer like nutrition and health coaching, which could apply to anybody in any state. So that's another good piece that we offer. Um, Can we talk a little bit about, you know, you doing like this clinical functional medicine work and counseling patients directly and then how pharmacists don't really have provider status, like how, you know, we usually do it part of collaborative practices. Mm-hmm. Um, is, that, is that how you see it working for you and in the future?
2: It would be very helpful to have a collaborative practice. It is challenging to get the providers to buy in um, when they're not already thinking with a functional lens. And I make a lot of referrals to a functional medicine nurse practitioner here in town. We're very fortunate that we have an incredible functional medicine practitioner here in town. And I make a lot of referrals to her. And I have a meeting with her office manager coming up soon to see if we can put something together more formal. I don't have a formal collaborative practice agreement with her, but I do refer a lot of patients to her since we have her available and I don't have prescriptive authority or provider status here in Texas.
1: Right. So can we also kind of talk a little bit about you trying to bridge that gap and become this pharmacist and provider, you know, an educator for the patients to help them manage their medications? You know, as a little girl, you pretty much had that vision. And so do you think that pharmacy school and the path that you took has provided that, or do you see it, you know, shifting and morphing some more in the future?
2: I think it will shift and morph some more since I have a new passion for talking to people about death. Um, as a geriatric pharmacist, we know that our patient's lifespan is getting shorter when you start seeing patients of a certain age bracket. And or even younger patients that are not taking good care of their bodies can have a lot of comorbidities that, that would seem like an older patient. I've been very surprised on some medication therapy management patients. I'll look at their laundry list, and in my head, I'm thinking, oh, this must be a 70, 80-year-old, and it ends up being a 45 or 50-year-old, and I'm, I'm just very surprised. Mm-hmm. And also, I hope people listening know that I don't think that it's normal to take 14 or more medications because you're 80, um, that's certainly not what we want to see, that's not ideal. And um, my grandmother passed away recently and her death was really special and different, I think than most people experience these days. She was 91, she was very healthy The only medication that she took was Synthroid. So thyroid medication, one medicine. Wow. And so you can age healthfully without the um, huge basket of medication. And she had no previous heart disease, but she was having chest pains, went to the emergency room and they said, you're having a heart attack. And they wanted to send her to the cath lab. And she said, no, send me home. I don't want to die here, and I don't want any more medical care. I know what's going to happen, and I want to die at home, and I know that that won't happen if I stay here and accept more care. So she went home against medical advice. We called hospice. We had two more weeks with her, and we laughed. We shared wonderful meals together, almost everyone in our family was able to make it up to go see her before she passed away. And it was a gift to get to say goodbye to her on our on our own terms. And we knew that our time was limited. I think that's another gift is we don't always know that it's coming. And so we, we knew it would be fairly quick. Um, we didn't know exactly how quick, but It was really special. And we had that opportunity because she was very clear about how she wanted to die. She did not want to die in the hospital. And she did not want heroic measures. And she wanted to be at home. And I realized that I need to be giving my patients the same gift that she gave to us to be able to to be bold and know that you're going to die, be okay with it, And also be okay telling your family what procedures you do or do not want. I mean, that was a gift for us that we didn't have to decide.
1: Yeah. Wow, that's, you know, heart-wrenching and heartwarming at the same time. Uh, But yeah, I would imagine that, especially with like COVID restrictions and everything like that, it must have been you know, a very difficult time for the family to get together. But I'm so happy that you made it work and your grandma was able to say goodbye.
2: We squeaked this in before COVID. So I guess it wasn't wasn't that recent. It feels very recent, but it was 2019. So
1: all right. Well, so then it was great timing then.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, that brings up, I mean, I'm glad you said that because that brings up something that that's very true for people that young children, well, now with COVID, we can't have the same kind of visitors we could in ICU. But had my grandmother gone to the cath lab, she would have had an ICU stay. She was frail. She'd had a fall and broken her hip, um, not the socket, but the bowl of her pelvis a year prior to her death, which we know that those kinds of falls and those fractures are an indication of frailty that we are nearing our time. and. So I knew her condition was frail and that if she survived the cath lab, we weren't guaranteed that, that she would have a pretty good recovery because of her frail state and children are not allowed in the ICU. And so my children would not have gotten to say goodbye to her had she chosen that path. And I, I had to have a conversation with a friend of mine about her mother who was very ill and she'd been in and out of the hospital with different things and she'd had a stroke and her quality of life um, was declining and so I had a hard conversation with her and I said you know next next time you think that there's something going on what do you think about calling hospice instead of going to the hospital. And she did end up passing away recently, like in the last three months. And I'm glad I had that hard conversation with my friend.
1: Yeah, I mean, we would love if our loved ones could live forever, but that's simply not the reality. And I think it is a gift, like you said, if the person themselves you know, makes their wishes known about mm-hmm. resuscitation and choosing how their end of life care will look like. Um, you know, we don't want to think about it, but it's nice to recognize that we have that power and that control and we can think about it so that our loved ones would, would know what we want. Mm-hmm. Um so can you talk a little bit about that other work that you do around death and talking about it and normalizing it with your um death cafe talks and and other work that you're doing? Sure.
2: Death Cafe was started by a gentleman, I believe he's in Europe, and he wanted to normalize conversations around death. And so there are these free meetups that were going on around the world to talk about death with no agenda, no judgment. And I started out offering death cafes, but since they want you, in order to carry the death cafe name, they would like for you to have a very agenda-free conversation. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I had an agenda, and I felt that I could no longer call it death cafe because I had all of these topics that I wanted to bring to people. And one of the the things that they asked in Death Cafe is don't have a guest speaker. (laughs) Let it be free form and open conversation. And so I decided I needed to do my own thing. And so Death Cafe was the spark. And I now host Coffee and Conversation called Embracing Mortality. And we get together virtually now on zoom and I invite a guest speaker to talk about some area pertaining to death dying or caregiving and we have judgment free open conversations um, that are centered around a topic that I think is important to the whole conversation and the next one is actually on Thursday. I don't know if this is going to air in time, but December the 10th is the Endwell Symposium. And they're having their symposium virtually. It's usually a big event in California that happens annually. And this year they made it free and it's online. Wow. So anyone who's interested in hearing about the Endwell project, which is being inspired around the question of how has COVID challenged us in the ways that we think about serious illness, caregiving, and end of life care. They're having speakers talk about all all of that. And we're going to meet online after the conference is done to talk about what we heard and what speakers we liked the best, what was new information to us, just process and digest together what we're going to hear from Endwell. And then in January, I have my colleague and friend, Angel Brownlee, who's a yoga therapist and an end-of-life doula. She's going to come and talk about her work. In February, we have Anne Hoffner, who wrote the Natural Burial Cemetery Guide. And she's an expert on green burial, so non-toxic burial without embalming and preserving the landscape. That you're buried in there are so many things that go into green burial that i didn't know until i read her book it was great and march is is the next one and jennifer Palazzolo, please forgive me if i said your last name wrong jennifer she has a pharmacy in colorado and she dispenses medications uh, for death with dignity laws mm-hmm. So she's going to come and talk to us about those laws and what it looks like at her pharmacy to be dispensing those medications to patients who choose to participate in, in that. So I won't say much more about that since I don't work at a pharmacy or dispense those. I'm going to leave that open for Jennifer, but I think it's a really interesting topic to talk about what it means to, to have the choice to die because we euthanize animals when we recognize that they're suffering and it it brings up an interesting conversation of why is it not okay
0: yeah yeah in the
1: same case of humans um it's uh it's like whose choice is it and who gets to decide you know the society mm-hmm. decides for everyone but as a society who are those you know people that are actually passing the laws and then where does the individual choice come in and when is it okay and when is it not okay and um you know when when do we treat what really you know is is there some disbalance that they're feeling like they need to end their life or perhaps they are suffering like you said and there is um no relief you know in this life Mm -hmm. anymore yes so it's like who, who who makes this judgment call? And that's a very difficult question to answer. And then they, there has to be a doctor that prescribes the medications, right? So mm-hmm. so there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of protocols to follow. It's not just that anybody who wants to will go and get the pills. So yes, it's a central process. Um, yeah. So can you talk a little bit more about green burials? Like, where should we look to for information? Should we buy Anne Hoffman's book? Or, um, you know, it's a, to learn more? <laughs> it's a great place to start, for sure.
2: Anne's book has the United States blocked out in sections. And she has put together a resource on many of the places. It's Of course, nothing is ever 100% up to date when it's in print. You know, it's always changing. But it's, it's the second edition, so she's updated it and added as many resources as she could to help people find places that will let you be buried without being embalmed and to be buried naturally either in biodegradable caskets or with no casket at all. And many of these natural burial cemeteries have requirements to keep the landscape untouched and to return it back to looking as natural as you can after you bury the body. So there's no mechanical destruction of the earth with like big heavy machineries. All of the graves are dug by hand and then all of the plants are carefully replaced back. And so this idea of green burial I love the way Anne explains it on her website. She says, we care in this life about what we put in our bodies. We're always thinking about non-toxic skincare, shopping at Whole Foods, and buying organic produce. And we're, we're very concerned with the here and now. And then if we choose a traditional burial, which is draining our body of all of its fluids, being pumped with preservatives, and then placed in a plastic or metal box which is then placed inside of a concrete vault how is that caring for the earth we in our death you know we, we cared so much while we were here but then where's the care even in our death shouldn't we still be caring about the earth about toxicities and what we're putting into our bodies and how our bodies are being returned or not to the earth And I love that she poses that question to have people think about the way that we do our burial processes. And I don't think that most people realize that most bodies in the United States now are embalmed with formaldehyde, a preservative, a toxic preservative. Yeah. And that's part of the reason that we need the concrete box is to protect the environment from all the chemical that we've poured in the body. And the concrete vault is also to help support the earth with the heavy machineries that are rolling through to mechanically dig the graves in a cemetery. Part of that is for safety too of the operators,
1: which I had no idea. Oh my goodness. So why do they even do that with the preservation? It's not like you're gonna dig up your loved ones and look at them.
2: You know, I I don't know the history behind why we started embalming. That's something I could use some more research on. I don't know how culturally we went from, because natural burials were a normal thing
1: and and somewhere we've returned your body back to the earth. But now you're saying like we're, you know, blocking the body off from the earth because it's like you said, pumped full of preservative, toxic preservative. Mm -hmm. So you're not really even returning the body to the earth after all wow yeah it's something that i never really thought about and i'm so glad that you are bringing this up and you know so many other people are doing the work uh, about this and spreading the word and raising awareness and just getting us to think about how it's counterintuitive um how does this practice differ from incinerating bodies and spreading the ashes is that also a more you know you know, nature-friendly way of going about it? I always thought
2: that it was. My grandfather and my grandmother both chose to be cremated. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've since learned that cremation, like in the furnace, uses a tremendous amount of petrochemicals. And it burns up the body and actually vaporizes all of the heavy metals and pollutes the earth even more when we choose cremation. And it burns us down to ash instead of usable substances. And oftentimes the pH of our cremation ashes is not right and will kill a tree that it's planted with. Yeah, I would imagine that it's acidic. So um, I, I had no idea that that, that was was a piece of, of cremation that wasn't friendly.
1: And oh, I lost my thought there. But yeah. Wow! Thank you so much for saying that. Um, I also thought that it was more like eco—the more ecological way to go about it. But uh, that sounds horrible, you know. And you're right; like we're organic matter, and we're just like completely discarding it into unusable, combusted, you know, combusted material that no one they're, use.
2: They're burning you down to your carbon, and then you can take your ashes and have them pressed into a diamond. <laughs> There are
1: there are services like that. it's, wow. it's very interesting. And to think that the human, you know, mind can think of and create is just like wow, well, and you know, boundless and mind-boggling at the same time. But thank you again for like bringing this up and such an interesting perspective to think about and all the industry that's around this too. Like you know, you like the fancy funeral homes and you know the whole process and everything that's involved and then how much simpler it could really even be and more organic
2: we're so detached from the death and dying process we've medicalized it almost and said oh that person's dying you leave that to us yeah yeah and and we're separated from the death and dying process we no longer recognize when people are dying that's why when i worked in the hospital we saw the revolving door patients and
1: mm-hmm.
2: oftentimes pneumonia is is what kills us but we're bringing them in they're short of breath we're pumping them full of antibiotics when when it's the, the pneumonia that that is what's going to to finish us and there's a really great story it's not mine Um, it's not my story. So I probably won't repeat it quite correctly, but there was a physician, Dr. Gawande. He wrote a great book called being mortal medicine and what matters in the end. And he talks about how his dad wanted to slip away peacefully and he had gotten a pneumonia and was not breathing. And his mother rushed his dad to the hospital and they were able to bring him back. And he was really angry when they brought him back because they just took away his opportunity to slip away peacefully. Um, and his dad was a physician also. And I thought, wow, that's so interesting to hear that story and to think about, are we robbing people of their chances to slip away in a peaceful death? And so his, his dad had the opportunity to slip away peacefully and into death at another time. So that's good that his family recognized that and did give him that opportunity the next time it came around. And I think we're, we're so quick to just, oh, we have to go to the emergency room for every little thing. And if we could embrace that we will pass away, what kind of care and help can we accept and be comfortable at home and let people pass away peacefully and, and give them comfort measures for sure. I I don't want anyone to hear that I'm saying, oh, you can suffer. No, no. Um, but utilize those resources that are there to keep you comfortable. And how can we support you and, and let everyone
1: slip away peacefully? Yeah. Yeah. It's like you're opening up this really difficult topic, because again, we don't want to imagine that one day we will die or our loved ones will will die. But, you know, regardless, it will happen. So it's nice to just be open and honest with each other and with what our desires are and how we would like, you know, our end of life to look like so that there is awareness and grace there and not just uh, something done against your wishes.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. I don't think enough people know that we have choices, even in healthcare. And, and so choosing, by knowing and choosing what kind of death we want, it can guide our healthcare choices. And hopefully, we'll start making better choices in our current healthcare, so that we can have that outcome that we want, because the choices we make today do affect the outcome later. And so each day to keep making choices that are going to get us to whatever it is that we want at the end of life
1: yeah absolutely and it's just like also the anti-aging you know um i guess industry so you know it's kind of geared for everyone to look and feel young all the time but i think aging is also just as natural as death. And, you know, it happens. That's the way life designed it. You're a baby, then, you know, you progress to the different stages of life. And the important thing is, I think, to be healthy and feeling energetic and vibrant and youthful during every part of your life. Yes. Rather than trying to always look you know, like freeze yourself in time (laughs) in um, like some image that you think is perfect and just stay there. I think just accepting every part of life as a blessing and progressing through it with grace. Mm -hmm.
2: I would agree with that.
1: Yeah. Um, So I think we have uh, come to pretty much the end of the interview today, but I'd love to know what you see in store and in the future for you. I thank you for sharing about the conversation and coffee um, agenda. Um, what else is kind of like on your radar?
2: I hope to be leading some sort of workshop. I'm putting it out there. Uh- to be leading a workshop of some sort to help families start start those discussions and be thinking about what they would like for their end of life and make it easier for families to talk about it and and have a fun sounds strange to say fun in the context of death but have a way to look at it as we're celebrating your life and Being prepared and having a plan for all of the possibilities is so helpful because then you don't feel rushed and you're making decisions unprepared. And when you know what your loved one's wishes are, you don't have to feel like you made the right or wrong choice. You made their choice and that's the right choice. And... To be able to honor their wishes and to celebrate their life in the way that they would want, I just think that's a wonderful gift. If we can for just a minute, I wanna go back to the digging of the graves and the natural burial. My husband lost his grandmother this year and his uncle, so grand's only son, she had other daughters, but she only had one son. He dug her grave by hand And the weather was not favorable. And a lot of people couldn't wrap their head around, why would he do that? They have big machines to go dig it. And I thought, what a beautiful way to honor his mother is to make sure that she was laid to rest. And like that helped him with his grieving process. And I just think that's a great story to share because he did the same thing for his dad when his dad passed away many years earlier. He hand-dug the grave, and it was part of his grieving process, and death doulas are part of, one of the things that they do is help families with grieving rituals, and so I don't know if this workshop that I'm thinking about for the future could be a fun and celebratory way to create those rituals beforehand, and you could have a, a
1: piece in creating them, so. Yeah, that really is a beautiful story. Um, just like the care and attention and uh-huh. giving, giving that back to your primary caregivers. And uh, it is definitely a way of giving back and serving and showing your respect and love. I, I feel that. Um, and just also to, to go back to what you were saying about having like, a fun plan. And, you know, just having the choices and education around this topic is really empowering. Because then, like, again, it's, it comes back to when you feel like there's only one choice, and you don't like it, you know, you're not going to feel good making it. But if you know, hey, you can do this, this and that, and then you also have that plan, this is what the person actually wants to be done. That is super empowering. And, then you get to choose what feels good and right because you have all these other things to choose from. Um, Mm -hmm. You don't just have like one choice that you don't even want to make. And then just like the whole celebratory aspect of it. I love it too. And I also read um, in a book, a wonderful book. um, I'll share it in the show notes, but basically the woman was on her deathbed, and she said, listen she gathered her family and she said i want us to throw me a celebratory practice funeral now because i'm still alive and i want to be part of it (laughs) you know how would you behave at my funeral like and then she just gathered everyone together and everybody had a you know great party while she was still alive so she was she was able to enjoy you know her own funeral And they were able to say their goodbyes. And she said, You know, tell me what you would want me to know if, you know, I were dying or dead. And she got to hear it while she was alive. And that's beautiful. Yeah. So there's just so many ways to like think about it and honor and celebrate the life before we die, too. And live life to your fullest
2: while you're here. And death is less scary when we're living our life out loud and to the fullest. Yeah, I love that.
1: All right. So if you just have like two more minutes, I have a rapid round. for Okay. All right. um, What's the number one thing someone should do to improve their quality of life right now?
2: Forgiveness. Find those grudges and let
1: them go. Yeah, and if I may add forgiving yourself as well. Super mm-hmm. All right, number two. Um, what is your favorite hobby? My favorite hobby.
2: Right now, it's going to sound really strange. We have been collecting roadkill and uh, preserving learning how like amateur taxidermy with ethically sourced animals and just really appreciating the beauty of these creatures we collected a hawk the other day that had been hit on the highway and wow it's, it's just amazing creatures that that we have on earth and how beautiful and amazing they are and we don't get to see them up close and so um it it feels good to have collected this guy before he got run over and we can give him a a more proper burial
1: wow yeah that's (sighs) wonderful i've been hearing about that too and it's also kind of like on the outskirts of like mainstream society thinking that this is normal but it's, it's really nice that, um, that you're doing that. And yeah, just honoring the life rather than, again, letting it just like get hit some more and just leaving it on the side of the road, but showing it some care and love and a proper goodbye. That's really wonderful. Um, and I hope more people look into this. Um and finally, what's your favorite beverage? Ooh, it depends on the time of year.
2: Like right now, with it being winter, I would say chider. So chai tea brewed in apple cider. And during the summer, some kind of agua fresca, just fresh fruit in water, just for
1: that light, refreshing taste. Wow. The the chider sounds new to me. I love it. I <laughs> want to try that out.
2: I learned about it when I was up in Boston, visiting a friend, and she took me to a uh, tea emporium or something. I don't remember the name of it. And she says, you have to try this. And I said, okay. And it's been my favorite ever since for a warm yeah. winter beverage.
1: I've tried um, dirty chai, which is like coffee and chai. And it sounds weird, but it's really good. It is good. I enjoy yeah, that now, too. Now i have to try that <laughs> it's on my to-do list. All right, so finally, Veronica, can you please share um, any websites or social media that people can just um, go to and get in touch with you and learn more about your work?
2: Yes, my website is www.prairiefirerx.com. And if you go to the events page, you'll be able to find where you can register to come to our coffee and conversations. And I'm updating. Speakers regularly. We don't have a full schedule yet, but so far we've got speakers for all three months for the first three months of
1: 2021. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I learned so much about you personally and about a lot of other topics that we covered. So, again, thank you for your work and thanks for sharing with us. Thank you for having me today. It was an honor. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to talk to you soon. So, So I'll see you later
0: on. Okay. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Holistic Pharmacy podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed the show and learned something new. I certainly get super inspired and motivated by my guests. And I hope the same is true for you. If so, I would really appreciate an honest and sweet review on any of the podcast platforms. Thank you, and I hope you have a great week ahead.